So are we really doing this? Yep. Too late to turn back now. The music already started. Welcome, everyone, to the Gov Navigators podcast, a government-focused podcast that won't make you seasick. We're the Gov Navigators. I'm Robert Shea. And I'm Adam Hughes. We hope to enlighten and enliven your week with news and insightful, entertaining guests, all on the topic of government management. Enjoy today's episode of Gov Navigators, brought to you by the creative geniuses behind the award-winning podcast, FedHead. Welcome to another episode of the Gov Navigators podcast. I'm Robert Shea. And I'm Adam Hughes. So uh, this is the segment where we generally talk about the news that's happened uh, in the past week, uh, but it's been kind of slow. Uh, it spring, has been. Spring break is going on. and uh, Congress is, was out. That's right. So what do you want to but, talk about? Well, uh, despite all that, Robert, OMB... Uh, dropped a little bit of a figurative bomb, particularly on federal employees this week. M2315. Oh, my God, you're making my heart flutter by citing a memo number, um, memo an OMB number, memo it, number nonetheless. Measuring, monitoring, and improving organizational health and organizational performance in the context of evolving agency work environments. OMB is not great at naming things. They should stick to the memos, to the M2315, I think. I beg to differ. I mean, how can you argue with measuring, monitoring, and improving organizational health? That is highly aspirational. It's got measurement and monitoring in it and improving. That's, I think, a very active, communicative title. So the subtext of this memo is that... OMB and the Biden administration would like federal employees to get their butts back in seats in their offices to do work instead of what has been more typical, which is a sort of enhanced telework uh, process that agencies have used during the COVID pandemic. Now, that's that's a little bit of a leap. The, the specifics here are asking agencies to update their work environment plans to establish routines for assessing those plans and whether they need to be modified based on the agency's mission and how employees are performing and engaged, and then a set of indicators, a way to measure that. So I think that's kind of sophisticated that they've they've taken a sort of a mature approach. We need to get write a plan. We need to assess it regularly to see whether it needs to be improved so that we can maximize our organizational health? And then what are the indicators we're going to use to to make those adjustments? On the surface, I think you're correct. But if you dig a little deeper, and I'm reading now from the White House blog from Jason Miller, Deputy Director for Management, he mirrors some of that language that you just talked about, improving organizational health and performance, including, quote, substantially increasing in-person work regardless, in my read, of whether it does improve organizational health and performance. A little later on, too, there's this phrase that I love. Jason tries to recommend that, you know, as you should regularly go to the doctor to stay on top of your health, it's important for the federal government and organization to regularly check on its organizational health and performance, including substantially increasing in-person work. So you're suggesting that, that this is OMBEs for get your asses back to the office? Yes, definitely, regardless of whether that directive is data-driven and focusing on organizational health. Certainly, anecdotally, I've heard from many friends in the government this week, once this memo came out, pondering, what problem are we trying to solve here? 
I think yeah. your points about organizational health and looking at uh, strategies and plans on periodic basis is incredibly important. But this just feels like it's this sort of overarching language that's trying to hide. You need to come back to the office. Yeah, I will say, showing a little empathy, you may be surprised. There's enormous pressure from the Hill, from constituents to bring federal employees back to their places of work so that they can better serve the American people. There are branch offices of major customer-focused agencies like Security Administration, Passport Office, that actually need human beings in offices to be able to serve the American people. Arguments about coming in the office simply to utilize real estate that's remained empty post-pandemic or to improve the economy of large urban areas like D.C. that are missing those spenders, I'm not as persuaded by those arguments. I, yeah, I agree. I just think this memo and the, the promotion of it, really, they twist themselves into knots trying to justify this on a non-political, non-let's-just-go-back-to-the-office basis. Uh, it is 20 good, solid pages. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see how this kind of plays out. I, I think this is going to make things like recruitment and retention already a significant problem in the federal government and in government in general. This is going to make it even more difficult. It's going to lead to inequities, I think, across agencies and across federal uh, workforce about who get, who has to go to the office and who doesn't have to go to the office. Yeah, we talked about best places to work last time, but results were actually officially released this week. And one of the factors that's led to, or at least cited as a reason for decline in morale across agencies has been the fact that folks are being asked to come back to the office. So you're right, it'll be interesting to watch. I I think um, we'll be talking about it again. I'm, I'm sure we will. They also cite how the private sector is sort of grappling with this same sort of issue right now. And there's some language in here about referencing, let's, you know, the private sector is trying to use the same lessons learned from the pandemic to strategically improve their company's health and performance. And I think if you've been following headlines and articles, you've seen a lot of CEOs say people need to come back to the office and the reception of that directive in the private sector as well has not been well received. Yeah. Uh, so I think I think we'll we will likely see very similar things in in the government space with this new memo that's out. OK, enough of that. Let's get on to our guest. All right, Adam. You and I spend a lot of time talking about what's going on on the Hill, and I'm delighted to say among our very first guests is our old friend, Charles Cooper. Charles, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm honored. I did notice you say one of our first guests and not the first, so I won't take too much offense, but glad to be here nonetheless. Yeah, well, if you sponsored it for a higher bill rate, maybe maybe we could have put you on it. Later. Robert, it sounds like Charles has been listening already to, to the Gov Navigator's podcast. It sounds like he's heard about episode two. He wouldn't so he be knows, alone. He knows he the shtick. Charles, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's uh, it's awesome to be with you guys again, and and I'm so excited about about the new firm and the new podcast. It's a really big need in in DC and elsewhere to get the the counsel and the guidance and the expertise that you all have, and I'm really excited to see where it goes. 
Well, you're nice to say that. We're, we've been on lots of journeys together, but one of them is starting our own businesses. You've started your own as well. Tell us we about Bermidi yeah. Group. Yeah, so Bermidi Group launched, uh, we're, we're getting close to our six-month anniversary, which is hard to believe, but we, we launched in uh, the beginning of November of last year. And we are really sort of focused on what we call sort of the intersection of policy and politics and helping clients sort of navigate that space. We have, have five employees now. We just opened uh, an office out in Denver because it's a region that's strategically important to a lot of our clients. And, you know, we're, we're growing. We feel really good about it. We're really excited about it. But most importantly, we're, we're really excited to, to continue to work with good friends of ours and people who are leading in their sectors as well. And you all fall squarely in that category. So I'm really excited to, to connect and hear all the great things that you guys are doing. Oh my gosh, it's amazing that you said so many nice things. It's different than the tone you took as we were talking before the call. <laughs> I'm reading the script you gave me, so it's good. <laughs> so, uh, Charles, we're we're talking as Congress is out of session this week, but they're back uh, next week. Lots going on. What what are some of the things that are sort of front and center for you, either in, in the work you've been doing with your clients or, or just sort of the policy machinations that go on in Congress? Uh, what are you keeping an eye on right now? Yeah, so there's a there's a couple things I would say. One, I mean, we can't really talk about what's going on or not going on in Congress without appreciating the fact that we're within 600 days of the election, which seems like it's far off, but it it means that we're starting to see more candidates announced for 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 the at least the Republican primary and more candidates sort of getting active on the congressional side. So that changes the sort of uh, intensity level and the scope of issues that we're going to see, but but what we're seeing is a lot of people that are sort of worried about what is a common narrative that Congress is not going to be able to get things done, including really important things like funding the government and the debt ceiling. And what we're trying to what we're trying to say is, if you really look closely, like certainly if you're just watching sort of the networks, that's a common theme. And if you're responding to polls, it's clearly a common theme because I think Congress is hovering like in the in the low teens in terms of uh, approval rating. And, and that's that's not abnormal. But I think when you look really sort of behind the scenes and what's actually happening, the the debates that you're seeing, even at committee hearings and oversight hearings and on, on Fox and CNN and MSNBC or Twitter, um, you know, those are not the those are not what's driving the policy conversation. The policy conversation is happening happening much more behind the scenes, very purposefully. You know, the the reality is if your issue is above the fold in the Washington Post, like it's going to get caught up in all sorts of campaign and partisan division. If you are talking to your friend who's a member of Congress and you are on opposite sides of the aisle and you can come together on an issue, it's it's very possible that that can move. It's This is a very good climate to move legislation if you think about it. The majorities are so narrow that a very, very small group of people can impact the process, which is almost unheard of. Right. So this is a, I think, like I look at this as being a very fruitful opportunity for people to engage in DC, not run from it. But you mentioned things that are below the fold inside the paper, if we actually read hard copy papers. What about the above the fold issues like the budget and the debt ceiling? What's your prognosis for resolving those two big issues? Well, unfortunately, you know, the way that I see this, I think is very similar to how we've seen this play 
out in the past, which is those type of issues do not get done unless they are literally staring over the cliff as a forcing mechanism. So I wouldn't expect them to reach a debt ceiling agreement uh, to this point because it's not needed at this point. They'll wait till the last minute when it's needed, when there is real motivation to, to get it done. And the same thing in terms of the annual funding process. The annual funding process is sort of, I don't want to say less important, but there is a mechanism for kicking that that can down the road, as you all know, and that's possible. Even government shutdown, as as disruptive and bad as those are, there's precedent, there's a process that people go through. It is bad and should be avoided at all costs, but there's not this, oh my God, I don't know what's going to happen if this doesn't happen by X date. Correct. But you know, both sides of the aisle, I think at their core, know that these things need to be done. And I think part of the problem is, like I said before, people are applying the partisanship and the anger and the fighting that they're seeing, and they're applying it to the policymaking process. That is the communicating process. That's not the policymaking process. You're not looking for your YouTube moment when you're really writing legislation. <laughs> That's for committee hearings and, and network TV. And so I think that at their core, they want to get this done. And the serious policymakers are going to work together. And frankly, it's in their interest. As I said, there, there's an election on the horizon. I don't think people win by the government shutting down or the debt ceiling not being increased. And, and maybe there'll be ha have to be some negotiation on, on figuring out how to navigate those, but they've done it pretty successfully in the past. And the times that they haven't, it wasn't good for the market. It wasn't good for them. And candidly, it wasn't good for the, the general confidence that the American public has in, in their government. So I think the serious policymakers are coming together behind the scenes to work some of these things out. And I'm, I'm pretty confident that, that they will. It may be a little rocky and a little scary on the way there, but I'm, I'm hopeful that we can believe enough in our policymakers and our dedicated government employees to figure this out. Okay. So smooth sailing. It sounds like everything's taken care of. No. Uh, <laughs> I, and I feel better. <laughs> We've also followed the oversight committees pretty closely. The issues of interest to the dozens of listeners of the podcast follow the management reforms going through the Congress. T talk about the Homeland Security Government Affairs Committee, Government Oversight and Accountability Committee, what you're seeing out of those. I've actually seen some bipartisan action coming from those committees, which shocks a lot of people. But have you followed those closely and what observations do you have about how they're working? Yeah, we, we have followed those closely. And, you know, I, I find it to be really interesting because on one hand, you're holding hearings that are considered uh, by each side as, as the other side being very political and politicizing it. And then minutes later, working on, on an issue together to try to get across the finish line. That's a pretty awkward and delicate dance that, that I think these committees have been able to do. The other piece of it is there's there's some new faces on those committees. So that sometimes helps and sometimes it it hurts in, in the sense of there's there's some longstanding relationships that that are no longer on those committees. Certainly feeds social media in some cases. It does, in some cases. But I think to your point, Robert, I, I think you need to look at oversight as a different function when you're dealing with issues that are very attractive to the political climate and oversight that ultimately is leading to policymaking. And I do think that those committees on big issues of real importance, like 
cybersecurity, which you mentioned, they are trying to do a lot. They are doing a lot. There's a lot of movement in that world in general. And those are the committees to a large extent that are responsible for it. And, and they're working on it. So it's sort of a, another example of walking and chewing gum at the same time. But I think the oversight that they're doing to try to lead to really strong policy is happening. And I also think candidly, the oversight that is probably a little bit more divisive between the parties is also happening. And, and they're just somehow able to, to do both at the same time. That's a great perspective, Charles. I like the what you've been talking about, dividing the political and the policy, particularly in terms of where those conversations happen. I think that's an important thing to keep in mind with the oversight committees, but also with all of Congress. What do you want to leave us with today? We're getting close to the summer heat in Washington, D.C., which tends to amplify some of those uh, divisions and conversations that you mentioned. What are you looking for leading into the summer and and into the fall? What are some of the kind of key things that you're going to be uh, watching? So I think right now is sort of a very important time because we are going to get to a point in the election cycle where, frankly, it's going to be a lot harder to get things done. But right now, I think we are in pretty good space to be able to look at issues and Like I said before, every member of Congress is a lot more empowered than they used to be. There's a lot more people that can be impactful in this discussion. So over the the course of the summer and into the fall, this is going to be a time where if they're going to move real policy, you're going to see it. There's a number of areas that I think are, are very ripe for that. If you look at some of the issues that Congress is doing oversight on when it comes to, you know, crypto and rail and TikTok and others like that, they are wanting to transfer that into a policy solution. I think that those are all things that they're they're working on. Obviously the big ticket items that you mentioned, they're going to have to deal with by this by the end of the summer for sure. But there's two things that I would highlight, I think, for this discussion. One is that as partisan the narrative is in Washington, DC, the reality is the federal government is still doing a lot of things that impact a lot of people. And you all are experts at really navigating that public sector space and identifying the opportunities and walking people through the opportunities and making sure that, you know, the work that those that companies are doing in a lot of cases are aligned with what the public sector is doing and what those trends are. All of those things are still happening. And on the congressional side, like I said, I think a lot of things are happening and there's a lot more bipartisanship than people are made to believe. So now is not a time to withdraw engagement from the federal government. Like, I think now is a time to really engage. And uh, there's a lot of people that have a really big interest in getting things done right now. 535 in Congress and a lot of leaders within federal agencies. I think this is a really good time to engage and people should not sort of decide to, to get out of town because the, there's a partisan debate happening. There's also a very bipartisan conversation happening. It's just not as visible or exciting to watch. That's an important message. We'll have to leave it there, but we're going to touch base with you in the future to see um, what more has happened, what other observations you have. You're one of the keenest observers of this town that we know, good friend of, of Gov Navigators, and we look forward to having you on again and working with you in the future. Charles, we have a couple of squares left in our Gov Navigators Appropriations Office pool. One of the two or three that are left is all bills passed and completed on time. And I'm hoping that you're willing to throw some money into the pool for that square. We're, we're happy to, to sell I, that one to you. I will I will definitely throw money into that square if we can add in parentheses in the house. I would definitely, <laughs> I'd definitely do that. 
I'll check with the back office. The the intern put this together, so it's not clear to me what the actual rules are. We'll have to get well, some clarity on well, that. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited for you all. The podcast is awesome, and and your company's gonna do awesome things. Congratulations, and look forward to chatting again soon. Thanks, Charles. Thanks, Charles. Hope you all enjoyed those insights from Charles Cooper of Bermidi Group. Uh, thanks again for him for taking the time to join us on the Gov Navigators podcast. He's had a couple of weeks off, and now uh, Congress is back, so he'll be he'll, he'll have a he'll have a couple of busy weeks ahead of him. It'd be harder to get on his calendar for sure. Uh, so, what's coming up next week, Robert? Well, it's important to share that Gov Navigators will be posting at the annual Professional Services Council conference in West Virginia. So we'll be soaking up all the wisdom of our fellow government contractors about what's going on in government, government management, acquisition. It's always a great chance to to get insights about from the acquisition community on how things are going and what to expect in the future. It'll be really interesting to get people's perspective on what this budget season, debt ceiling negotiations swirling around, how those are going to pan out. It's our first road trip. It's a big deal. We Let's are traveling those. by land, though, not by sea. That's right. Both both require uh, uh, corporate credit cards. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, you also highlighted coming up this week uh, an interesting hearing. That's right. That's right. The Senate Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee, my old stomping grounds, is hosting the traditional appearance of the Comptroller General to release the JO high risk list. Interestingly, though, they're doing it on April 20th, 420. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. And I mean, the joke's just, uh, it, it's, it, as I said in a post uh, earlier this week, it's high time people take this report seriously. <laughs> That's an important hearing, and I'll, I'll look forward to seeing that report. I don't expect a lot of changes. Uh, unfortunately, not a lot of improvements, but we'll see. One, one of your favorite reports in all of government. That's right. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gov Navigators podcast, brought to you by Gov Navigators. We sure hope you enjoyed it and learned something in the process. And didn't get seasick. Right, of course. If you want to know more about us and what we're up to, please visit govnavigators.com. Ahoy! Oh, jeez. <laughs>